Back to Basics 2.0 Surgical Attire by Lisa Spruce Humans shed skin and hair into their environments. In the perioperative environment, some microorganisms present on human skin and hair can be pathogenic and pose a risk for development of surgical side infections, SSIs. Although the available research does not indicate that patient exposure to shed skin and hair during surgery affects SSI rates, perioperative personnel wear surgical attire, that is, two-piece pantsuits, scrub dresses, scrub jackets, head coverings, to promote cleanliness and hygiene in the surgical environment. The AORN, Guideline for Surgical Attire, was revised and published electronically in 2019. Perioperative nurses and other surgical personnel should review the entire guideline for the most current guidance on surgical attire. For some of the topics in the guideline, the evidence was either lacking or non-existent. As a result, AORN could not make definitive recommendations for those issues. When definitive recommendations are not available, perioperative team members should form interdisciplinary teams that include infection preventionists to discuss current evidence and make practice decisions based on the available studies, patient considerations, and clinician experience. Facility-driven decision-making may vary from facility to facility and from patient to patient. Practice Point Laundering Perioperative personnel should wear clean surgical attire in the semi-restricted and restricted areas of the surgical suite to protect patients from exposure to microorganisms that could contribute to an SSI. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration regulations indicate that personnel should remove surgical attire that is contaminated with blood, other body fluids, or other potentially infectious microorganisms immediately or as soon as feasible and retain the attire at the healthcare facility for laundering. At the end of their shift, all surgical personnel should leave their surgical attire at the healthcare facility for laundering. Healthcare facility protocol should include the laundering of surgical attire at a healthcare-accredited laundry service center. If there is no acceptable laundry center available, the surgical attire can be laundered at the healthcare facility if the facility adheres to state regulations or the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's laundering requirements. When personnel wear contaminated surgical attire in their homes or the community, they may transport pathogenic microorganisms into those environments. Personnel are unable to monitor home laundering for the requisite safety, consistency, or quality. They are also unable to control the water temperature, agitation, and concentration of chemical agents to reduce microbes present on surgical attire during home laundering. Practice Point Head Covering Perioperative personnel should cover their hair and scalp to help prevent contamination of the sterile field and environment. Study results indicate that hair is a reservoir for bacteria that can be dispersed into the environment. However, research has not shown that covering the scalp and hair affects SSI rates. Therefore, AORN is unable to make a recommendation for the type of head coverings that surgical personnel should wear in the semi-restricted and restricted areas. The available evidence does not show an association 
between the extent of hair coverage and the type of hair coverage worn and SSI rates. In a study of the porosity, permeability, and particle transmission of a disposable bouffant hat, a disposable skull cap, and a freshly laundered cloth skull cap, researchers concluded that the disposable bouffant hat was more permeable to bacteria than either of the skull caps. However, the researchers also acknowledged that staff members' cloth hats may not always be laundered daily, and that an unlaundered cloth hat possibly could lead to airborne contamination of the surgical suite. The available research also indicates that the ears can be a source of bacteria, but currently there is no documented association between SSI rates and covering the ears. Ear piercings also can be a source of cross-contamination between the ears and hands and contribute to SSIs. An interdisciplinary team that includes members of the surgical team and infection preventionists should determine the type of head covers that will be worn at the healthcare facility. Practice Point Long Sleeves In the revised AORN Surgical Attire Guideline, the recommendation for arms being covered during preoperative patient skin antisepsis is conditional. A conditional recommendation may be implemented, but the degree of implementation will likely vary based on the benefit-harm assessment for the specific setting. The benefits of covering the arms likely outweigh the harms. However, more research is needed to determine the effect of covering the arms on SSI rates. Researchers compared the rates of air contamination during preoperative patient skin antisepsis for a simulation surgery in three hospitals. They completed four experiments in each hospital. Study participants had uncovered arms in two experiments and covered arms, that is, with sterile gowns and gloves, in the other two experiments. The researchers noted a decrease in skin particles and the amount of micrococcus in the OR environment when arms were covered. The researchers recommended covering the arms with long sleeves during preoperative patient skin antisepsis. Because this was a simulated OR environment, additional research in live surgery settings is needed to determine the effect of covering the arms on SSI rates and any patient-related outcomes. In another study, researchers completed an independent cost analysis for the use of disposable long sleeve jackets in the perioperative areas of two facilities in the same hospital system. The added cost of implementing the disposable jackets was $1,128,078 annually. There has been no research evaluating the benefits or harms of covering the arms in the semi-restricted or restricted areas. Therefore, no recommendation can be made on covering the arms in those settings. Further, the AORN guideline does not include a recommendation related to the use of disposable jackets. Practice Point Personal Items Personal items, for example briefcases backpacks, may harbor microbes or environmental contaminants, for example, dust soil. Perioperative teams should establish a process to prevent these items from contaminating the semi-restricted and restricted areas of the surgical suite. The process may include cleaning or containing the item or placing the item in a designated location. Research indicates 
that personal communication devices, for example, cell phones, tablets, are highly contaminated with microorganisms, including those that may be pathogenic. Before bringing personal electronic devices into the OR, perioperative personnel should clean them according to the device manufacturer's instructions for use. After cleaning the devices, staff members should perform hand hygiene. Conclusion As part of providing a clean environment for surgical patients, perioperative team members should adhere to the AORN recommendations on surgical attire. These recommendations also help provide a safe environment for perioperative team members in which to work. The scenarios in this column address potential areas of concern related to surgical attire, including benefits and harms to patients, the importance of forming interdisciplinary teams to review pertinent evidence, staff member implementation issues, and other challenges related to developing or updating policies and procedures. Perioperative leaders should include infection preventionists on these interdisciplinary teams to help create or revise surgical attire policies and to monitor SSI rates after any change in practice. The revised AORN surgical attire guideline provides additional recommendations and guidance on surgical attire. This Back to Basics 2.0 article contains four knowledge checks. I will now read the first knowledge check for the practice point, laundering. Regina, an RN circulator, and John, a surgical technologist, work at a facility that allows home laundering and has a washing machine on site for staff members to use. During a procedure, all the surgical team members' surgical attire becomes contaminated with blood. Because of patient care needs, Regina does not immediately change her surgical attire and continues to work with blood contamination on her scrub top and pants for the rest of her shift. The surgeon, Dr. S., changes his attire before speaking with the family, and John changes his surgical attire immediately after the procedure. John places his contaminated attire in the department washing machine before he begins the next procedure. The anesthesia professional, Cassie, requests relief immediately after her surgical attire becomes contaminated, and she changes her attire at that time. At the end of the shift, Regina, who is in a rush to be on time for an appointment, decides to don a coat over her surgical attire before leaving the facility. John also has an appointment and changes into his street clothes before leaving the building. After her appointment, Regina decides she should launder her surgical attire in her eco-friendly washing machine using a gentle cycle and cold water. The care label on the attire states that bleach should not be used. Question. In this scenario, who did not follow the recommended practice point? A. John. B. Regina. C. Dr. S. Or D. Cassie. I will now provide the answer. In this scenario, Regina did not follow the recommended practice point. I will now read the second knowledge check for the practice point, head covering. Robert, a surgical technologist, works in a healthcare facility that requires all perioperative team members to wear a bouffant head covering 
with complete ear coverage. Robert believes that this type of head covering interferes with his ability to hear and to wear his protective eyewear. Jane, an RN circulator, only wants to wear a disposable bouffant hat and believes that is the best option for everyone. Dr. M and Dr. N each have a Team Logo cloth skull cap that they take home on the weekends for laundering. They both want to wear the caps and refuse to comply with the current policy. Robert decides to challenge the current policy and, with leader support, forms an interdisciplinary team that includes an infection preventionist and other perioperative team members to discuss the evidence regarding hair, scalp, and ear coverage. Robert invites Jane, Dr. M, and Dr. N to join the team, but they initially refuse. Dr. M indicates that he will only wear the cloth skull cap and sees no need for additional discussion. Dr. N agrees with Dr. M, but decides to join the team so that he can influence the result. Jane disagrees with the need for the meeting, but she supports evidence-based practice and therefore joins the team. Robert's interdisciplinary team discusses the available evidence on head, scalp, and ear coverage. The team members note that personnel should cover their ears when wearing earrings to prevent one from falling into a surgical site and leading to a retained foreign object. After reviewing the evidence on contamination related to ear piercings, Robert and Dr. N. realize that they need to remove their earrings during surgery. Based on the evidence and discussion, Robert's interdisciplinary team recommends that the facility policy allow the wearing of cloth head coverings, that is, bouffant hats and skull caps, that are laundered daily at a healthcare-accredited laundry service center. The team members also determine that surgical personnel do not need to cover their ears, but they should not wear earrings of any type in the semi-restricted and restricted areas of the surgical suite. Robert's team develops a plan to monitor SSI rates in the facility to assess if these changes have any positive or negative effects. In addition, Robert and Dr. N begin removing their earrings before participating in surgical procedures. Question. In this scenario, who did not follow the recommended practice point? A. Dr. M. B. Jane, C, Dr. N, or D, Robert? I will now provide the answer. In this scenario, Dr. M did not follow the recommended practice point. I will now read the third knowledge check for the practice point, long sleeves. Julie, an RN, has been working in the perioperative setting for more than two years and is aware of the AORN guideline update related to surgical attire. Julie reviewed the revised surgical attire guideline, including the available studies, before discussing the topic with her nurse manager and requesting a policy change. With her nurse manager's support, Julie forms an interdisciplinary team to discuss the potential harms of covering the arms. For example the potential for contamination of the prepped area by loose-fitting sleeves, situations in which arms should be covered, and the use of disposable jackets. She includes two experienced RNs, 
Dan and Martha, and an infection preventionist on the team. After reviewing all of the available evidence, the team members decide to revise the existing policy to require an assessment of patient factors, for example, risk of SSI, type of surgery or procedure to be performed, and a discussion of these factors with the surgeon on a case-by-case basis to determine if personnel need to wear attire with long sleeves during skin preparation. The team also decides not to implement the use of disposable jackets because they are not mentioned in the guideline and are cost-prohibitive. The team decides that if long sleeves are needed to decrease the risk of contaminating the surgical site, the nurse performing the surgical skin preparation should wear a warm-up jacket with close-fitting long sleeves or sterile sleeves. After changing the policy and notifying all of the staff members, Martha, who has always covered her arms with a long-sleeved jacket snapped closed in the front, changes her practice. In the past, she has felt overheated in the OR and is glad to now be able to remove her jacket when it is not required, according to the new policy. One day, upon entering an OR to provide a break, she observes that Dan is beginning the surgical skin preparation on a patient who is at a high risk for developing an SSI, but he is not wearing long sleeves. Because it is the beginning of the skin preparation, Martha mentions her concerns to him and suggests that he don a jacket or sterile sleeves. Dan refuses to do so, indicating that during a past skin preparation, his long sleeve contacted the prepped surgical site, thereby contaminating it. He says, I know I was on Julie's team to change the policy, but I don't believe in it, and that contamination with a sleeve is never going to happen to me again. Before the policy revision, Dr. B, an orthopedic surgeon, insisted that arms be covered with a disposable jacket during perioperative patient skin antisepsis for all of her patients. However, after reviewing the revised policy and related evidence, she verbalizes her support for the updated protocol. Question. In this scenario, who did not follow the recommended practice point? A. Dr. B. B. Julie. C. Dan. Or D. Martha. I will now provide the answer. In this scenario, Dan did not follow the recommended practice point. I will now read the fourth and final knowledge check for the practice point, Personal Items. After reading the revised AORN, Guideline for Surgical Attire, the infection preventionist at a Level 2 trauma facility forms a committee of OR team members who meet to revise the surgical attire policy. The committee reviews the revised guideline and the associated evidence and decides to implement a process to address personal items in the OR. After the policy revision, personnel are required to store personal items in a designated location in the semi-restricted area. The committee also reviews options for cleaning electronic devices, including wiping or spraying the item with a low-level disinfectant or cleaning the item with ultraviolet light. The committee decides to install containers of low-level disinfectant wipes outside the entrance to the semi-restricted area and requires all perioperative team members to wipe their electronic devices and then perform hand hygiene. Additionally, 
If the devices are used in the semi-restricted or restricted area, the revised policy requires staff members to clean their devices and then perform hand hygiene before exiting the semi-restricted area. The committee provides education on the updated policy and procedure for all perioperative team members and contacts members of the materials management team to add the revised policy to the vendor's documentation requirements. Several weeks later, the infection preventionist completes a cleaning audit in the OR. He observes Dr. Z bring his backpack into the semi-restricted area, remove the papers he needs for the procedure, and place the backpack in the designated area. When observing procedure preparations, the infection preventionist notices Ellen and Norman, the RN circulator and surgical technologist, wipe their phones with the disinfecting wipes and perform hand hygiene before entering the OR. At the end of the procedure, the infection preventionist observes Jason, a vendor representative present in the OR for the procedure, text on his phone while wearing examination gloves. After texting and while still wearing the gloves, Jason moves boxes of sterile implants, rearranges and counts contaminated instruments, and then texts on his phone again. Question. In this scenario, who did not follow the recommended practice point? A. Ellen. B. Dr. Z. C. Norman. Or D. Jason. I will now provide the answer. In this scenario, Jason did not follow the recommended practice point.